0: BLOB TALK RADIO The Honorable Judge Fudge presiding. This is On Trial, and I am your host, and for tonight I am your prosecuting attorney, your mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And taking the stand tonight, facing judge, jury, and executioner, is the Zack Snyder comic book adaptation starring Gerard Butler, 300. We are kicking off the year with a little bit of synergy. We looked at the comic book on source material by Frank Miller, and tonight we're going to review the movie I'm going to prosecute, and coming to the stand right now, your defense attorney for this evening's proceedings, Mr. Sean Coma. How do you do, sir?
1: Unfrozen caveman lawyer for the defense, sir.
0: Do you have like a ready-made list of those and you just pick one at random each night that we do this or, or, or what is your process, sir? Tell me about, come come into the actor's studio and tell me about your process.
1: Well, oh, sorry. That was my, uh, that was my brief impression of Jim Cornette's signature mid-sentence throat clear. Um, I do have quite a few that I have memorized, just by virtue of being a bit of a pop culture sponge. But occasionally, if we're doing something and I want to, I want to go a little bit thematic with it. Yeah, then then maybe I'll I'll go and do a little bit of digging and try to look up uh, some some prosecutor or defense attorney who's at least loosely related to whatever it is we're going to be talking about. But right. other, but but otherwise, but otherwise, some, sometimes it's just random. I'll, I'll go, okay, who um, what what attorneys are spring to mind from my Law and Order fandom that that I can <laughs> rattle. So and, and every so often I'll just say, uh, to hell with gender standards. I'm tonight. I'm Alex Cabot or I'm Casey Novak. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Well, despite, despite we the are, fact that I have the to, to fill out a pencil skirt like either of them.
0: All right, we're going to kick this thing into high gear. Um, It's a a simple enough movie. Let's make this a simple podcast. Uh, 300, as I said, directed by Zack Snyder, stars Gerard Butler, Lena Headey, David Wenham, and uh, Rodrigo Santoro as the not quite politically correct or historically accurate Xerxes. Um, Sean, why don't you give us some notes on this movie, if you please?
1: Well, Fudgy, much like Robert Rodriguez's take on Sin City, 300 is virtually, for all intents and purposes, a shot-for-shot remake of a Frank Miller graphic novel of the same name. This one in particular happens to be a stylized retelling of the Battle of Thermopylae, in which um, ancient history has it, a 300 man dramatically vastly outnumbered Spartan army stood their ground against thousands upon thousands of marching advancing persians seeking to claim greece if you a word of advice if you really want a nice a nice thoughtful take on the actual on the actual events on which the graphic novel and hence the movie are based, I would strongly recommend checking out the – I forget whether it's a single episode or a series by from Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast called, I believe it's King of Kings. I, now, if, if Andrew Graham is listening, feel free to either chime in now or comment later on Facebook if I got the episode wrong, because I know he's also a huge hardcore history fan like I am. But also, like Sin City, very little of the movie was shot in front of actual physical scenery. In fact, there there was only one scene that was shot on location. Otherwise, as is fairly obvious a few minutes into the film... It was, it was made entirely in front of a green screen, 100%. And it wasn't the first time that someone had tried to make a movie about the Battle of Thermopylae. Prior to Zack Snyder making this as his follow-up to Dawn of the Dead, uh, years pri- years prior, he himself had been trying to get a movie made based on based on this very graphic novel, based on this very source material. Um, around the same time, Michael, uh, director Michael Mann was already planning um, a film based on, a film based on the story. Well, not based on 300, the Frank Miller novel, based on the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, But instead, he was going to base his on the book Gates of Fire. Uh, However, uh, when producer Gianni Nunari kind of dug into Miller's take on it, he was so impressed that he immediately went to the trouble to snap up the rights. Uh, He jointly produced it alongside Mark Canton, Michael B. Gordon wrote the script. Um, Zack Snyder brought screenwriter Kurt Johnstad on board for a, quick produ- for a quick rewrite prior to production, and Miller himself was kept on as a consultant and executive producer. And really, it was at a time when sword and sandal movies were undergoing. A bit of a, a very brief resurgence, and it, but unfortunately not exactly a critically acclaimed, of, acclaimed one. Uh, in fact, many of the shields, spears, swords, and other props were recycled from the making of Troy and Alexander. Neither of which was exact was exactly as warmly welcomed by. Critics or audiences, as say the Academy Award-winning Gladiator, a number of years prior. But you know, ultimately, to a certain ex- to a certain extent, despite it, as Mark and I will discuss in a moment, having all the all the signature earmarks of a Zack Snyder disaster, the film originally released December 9th at Butt Numathon two thousand six. It hit theaters everywhere on March 9, 2007. And on a budget of $65 million, it grossed a most impressive $456.1 million worldwide. And this was all despite the fact that, of course, this being based on a Frank Miller creation and Frank Miller being about as subtle as a kick to the dick – the portrayal of the Spartans <laughs> was brought under heavy fire as being thoroughly racist and, un- and unflattering. Um, South Park actually parodied this movie hilariously. If, if you haven't seen that, by all means, I'll understand if you want to just download this later and venture over to Hulu and tuck into that. Hang on a sec. I got a Facebook notification here. Oh, okay, never mind. I thought maybe that Andrew was chiming in to tell me that I had the wrong episode of Hardcore History. Uh, it's just my ABC 15 Arizona news alert. Mm-hmm. Wow. Only in Arizona do I get notification that it's raining in Phoenix. <laughs> oh, I miss my home state. Anyway. But Really, as far as background goes, that's about all there is to it. Everything else, I think I'm going to go ahead and save for when you and I actually get into discussing the merits and shortcomings of the movie. All right, let me give you a real quick plot synopsis.
0: Uh, The Persians are coming. The Persians are coming. Okay, well, uh, first we're going to kill you, messenger, Then we're gonna uh, ask for permission to go to war, and the ephors are gonna say nope, and and then they're gonna molest the woman, and then they're gonna say, Okay, well, we can't get the army that we need, so we'll go to the one we'll go to the war with the one we have. Uh, And they proceed to take 300 men uh, into the hot, hot gates where they will confront the 300,000 strong Persian army. Uh, They kill lots of Persians. Uh, Xerxes makes an uh, an offer to Leonidas, who is the king. Hey, (laughs) I will grant you riches. You can be the warlord of Greece. I will give you everything and more, and I will not kill any more of your people. All you have to do is kneel. And Leonidas tells him to go fuck himself in so many words. So the fighting continues. We have a hunchback who attempts to gain favor with Leonidas. He is soundly rejected because he cannot operate in the phalanx the way that he should and therefore is not very useful. So he goes to the Persians and says, hey, have I told you about the back door into the hot, hot gates? And so he does. And he is promised riches and a uniform and women. What more could you ask for? Uh, The Persians then proceed to march on... The Spartans, there's a last stand. Every last one of them is slaughtered, uh, but not before Xerxes takes a shot in the face from one of the spears, showing that he is indeed a man, not a god. Uh, word of this gets back to the rest of Greece. They, a year later, they proceed to march on the Persians, and civilization is born. That's essentially the movie in a nutshell. There, there's a side plot here with, you know, uh, Dominic West from The Wire being, you know, also taking a payoff from the Persians, but nah, that's not what anybody came to see. <laughs> we came to see uh, half-naked men, buff as all hell, six-packs galore, take spear and shield, and destroy monsters. They may be called Persians, but they were portrayed as monsters. So let's get to it, shall we? Um, As I I said to the the defense tonight, I'm actually going to take a a different tack than my usual uh, burn everything to the ground method of prosecuting things. I'm actually going to talk about what I like about this movie. Because everything I love about this movie is everything that's wrong with this movie. And that ultimately is my prosecution of it. This movie is rock, the Rocky Three of Sword and Sandals movies. This is, if you've ever heard, I, I want to say it's Eddie Murphy talking about Rocky Three. He talks about how, like, Italians have never been prouder <laughs> you know, at the movies. They, they went there and they, and they, and they watched Rocky beat up on Clubber Lang, Mr. T, and they come out of it and they all feel like they could, you know, they could just punch the hell out of anybody. And they're, and they're so happy. And, and it's just it's just an exercise in machismo. It, it's it's great. It, and that's that's it exists as that. And if that's all you want from a movie, and clearly that is all anyone wanted out of Rocky III, and that's all anyone ever wanted out of 300, then by all rights, the movie is successful. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it well-crafted. And as stylized a movie as it is, sometimes style for style's sake, it just isn't enough. Let me break it down this movie is about one character and it is only one character who's even reasonably well written and that's Leonidas. While Leonidas may be on screen with hundreds of other actors saying lines, doing things, wearing costumes, there are no other actual characters in this movie. If you didn't know who the actual actors were, you and you weren't paying precise attention to who, who is married to what name, you wouldn't know who any of these people were, and they are utterly interchangeable. I'm talking about the, the 300. And really, there's only three characters, and I use that word loosely, that's in quotations, besides Leonidas among the 300. There, nobody is written with any depth at all, except for Leonidas, Gerard Butler. Nobody, and that that may be purposeful. And again, that's what adds to what we all went to go see. We want to see, a set, you know what, what amounts to professional wrestlers <laughs> charging into certain doom. It, it, it's fun to watch. You know, it, it's it's a it's it's great to see this kind of. Dramatic bravery portrayed on screen, but if you're judging a movie for you know a- against what are the pillars that make uh, a well crafted movie, you can't get away from the fact that that no no one is written well in this thing except for Leonidas and one could argue he's not written that well either but i'm I'm forgiving some of that. Because at least he has, I wouldn't call it an arc. (laughs) I don't think he's changed by this movie in any way, shape, or form. He went into this thing going, we shall be free Greeks. And he died in this thing going, we shall be free Greeks. He's never tempted. If there's an effort to portray temptation on his face, it fails. And I've watched this movie several times in the past week. You never truly believe he's going to, even at at the end of the movie, where he does in fact kneel, but it's the whole thing's a ruse. I I don't think they do an effective job of making you believe he's just given up the fight and he's willing to save all of these guys uh, to be slaves of, Xer- of Xerxes. So, while... Well, his character may be fairly well written in the sense of, you know who he is, you know what he's about. He's the same man he was at the beginning of the picture that he is at the end of the picture, and that's not really interesting uh, as, a, as a moviegoer. That's not a really interesting portrayal. Which, again, is not what they're going for here. <laughs> they're not going for interesting in any way, shape, or form. They're going for bloodbath. They're going for fun visuals. And it succeeds wildly there, and that's what I love about this movie. But if you're looking for anything resembling a well-written, well-crafted, uh, fully formed character picture, this is not that movie. I mentioned before I uh, I, I get into style. Let me let's let's take a look at some of the other quote-unquote characters. Uh, Lena Headey is uh, Queen Gorgo, I believe is uh, her character's name. Yeah, eh, you know she she plays her part, she plays her role, she says lines, she you know she does things. Not exactly a well formed character, you know. Even Dominic West, you know, he's you know he sly mustache twirly uh, betrayer guy. Not much to him. The E4s, not much to them. The, uh, the, the Spartan councilman politicians are just are literally the same as they are like in, in South Park, you know, as Sean mentioned earlier. Just going, rebel, 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 rebel. That's really all they do in this movie. You know, <laughs> And then when Dominic West gets stabbed and his coins fall, they're like, oh, he betrayed us. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Um, so again, not a lot of depth there. So let's talk about the monsters. In this movie, let's talk about Xerxes and the Persians. I can't even call Xerxes a video game boss because you at least get to fight a video game boss. He's like a video game boss NPC. He's just he's just kind of there, and he, his his best scene is with Leonidas, you know, trying to tempt him and everything, which goes nowhere because he's not going to do it. But at least. You know, Rodrigo Santoro, I give him a lot of credit, well-acted, well-acted in that one scene. But other than that, the portrayal is basically, look, I'm a monster, and he's surrounded by monsters. But you, you don't know anything about this Persian army or why they're there or, or what their motives are other than they're a conquering horde. And now the defense will probably get up and sell, but that's all you need. okay. I'm not arguing that point. That is all you need. That's not good, though. That's not well-crafted movie-making. That's schlock. And I love schlock! (laughs) I'll say it. Uh, I will stand on the hill and scream, I love schlock, but schlock is not great movie-making. That's why it's schlock, you see. So the defense may tell you all kinds of things that well, this movie rises to exactly what it's supposed to be. But you but that's <laughs> you can't just leave it there. You have to then say, but that always isn't good movie making. Which brings me to style. Boy, you can see a Zack Snyder movie coming from hundred miles away, can't you? And I mean, I, I couldn't help <laughs> I couldn't help watching this without thinking of every other Zack Snyder movie I've ever seen. Two come to mind right off the bat, and maybe it's because I've watched them recently, you know, the past couple of years, and I've talked about them, so they're fresh, but, you know, you have Watchmen and you have Dawn of Justice. And it's the same camera tricks. It's the same use of camera. For God's sakes, it's the same color palette. Yeah, this one tended to lean a little bit more on sepia tone and red, but still, I thought Batman was going to come out at any moment during 300. I really did. I thought I I thought standing amongst the phalanx I was going to see that I was going to see Rorschach. It's it's just he just makes the same style movie over and over again and it's like is that it is that all you've got is a handful of ca- of parlor camera tricks and some terrible color paletting. I mean no wonder he wanted to do three hundred. He sees in dog color, and that's kind of what the graphic novel looks like. You know, I, as I said this on source material. I enjoyed 300 as a very simple story. It, the art looks like shit. And I'm sure Zack Snyder thought, woo, I can do this. It's in two colors. Again, that doesn't make for an interesting visual experience. And 300, while I love this movie, is not always the most interesting thing I've seen on television, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of darkness. It's a, it's a lot of, oh gosh, who is the director that, 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 uh, did the last shitty King Arthur movie guy, something or other guy. Thank you. Guy. Know, thank you. Guy Ritchie. You. Guy Ritchie. Yeah. After a while, guys like Zack Snyder and Guy Ritchie, like we see you coming. <laughs> we see you coming. What else you got? Your
1: witness, sir. Well Golly Goober bejeebers, I would like to thank the prosecution for doing most of my job for me. <laughs> Here we go. If you want it'll, and this is going to sound somewhat like a backhanded knock at Zack Snyder, probably more so than I mean it to. But If you want to see a stronger example of film craft as exemplified by telling the story of the Battle of Thermopylae, I would strongly recommend going and watching a little movie called The 300 Spartans. Both because A, it's a better overall example of craft, and B, it's actually the movie that inspired Zack Snyder to want to make this. Um, the thing is, when it comes to directors, they're a lot like a number of other ki- a, no- a number of other artists, a number of other kinds of artists, that is, a lot like musicians or comic artists, actors, stand-up comedians, what have you. To a certain extent, there are directors out there that you turn to when you're looking for something very specific. It's not going to be a very diverse menu. It's not gonna it's not exactly gonna be Applebee's or chilies. You you feel me? Um you're going for you're you're going for Chipotle. You're going for Panda Express. No, you're going for something dependable. Uh for example, uh, Kevin Smith. Okay, do you like movies that lean heavily on their dialogue to make to make up for the fact that as cinematography goes, the auteur is really nothing to write home about? Okay, there you go. You go with Kevin Smith. He's not big on camera moves. You want something that's not only really heavy on dialogue, but is also highly ref, highly referential and really brutal and kind of pulpy at times and a throwback to a different era of filmmaking okay you turn to Quentin Tarantino you want nothing but rampant slam but rampant slam bang action that takes you that also similarly takes you back to the 70s or late 60s but kind of minus some of the intelligence of Quentin Tarantino Robert Rodriguez there you go If you want somebody that brings a little – that seems to bring a little something different to the table with nearly every movie, you have directors like Guillermo del Toro, uh, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg. Uh, to To a slightly lesser extent, I would throw Christopher Nolan out there, although even he tends to kind of fall prey to tropes sometimes. Zack Snyder, for a director, would make an outstanding cinematographer. Seriously, he would. His his movies never fail to be a treats for the eyes. And this, rather than his debut, Dawn of the Dead, was the one is the one that really encapsulates that fact. Don't get me wrong. Dawn of the Dead, visually, is one of the most fantastic zombie films ever made. A lot of people would throw it out there as being the greatest zombie movie ever made, ever made, just period, and it's hard to argue with that. But when it comes to this one, this is Zack Snyder choosing a very strong lead to kind of follow in terms of what he wanted to accomplish. And that is clearly he saw how effectively uh, Robert Rodriguez with a little help from Quentin Tarantino and Frank Miller himself adapted Sin City. And he thought he would try to take the same road. And Really, it works. The the, the 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 second best way you can tell if you're really going to like 300 is well, first off, go and watch the first movie, and then kind of and then kind of imagine something more visually impressive without a lot of without a little more of the effort going into dialogue and character. But on the other hand, it would also be advisable to go and actually read the graphic novel first. Because you aren't... This isn't Christopher Nolan taking two or three Batman stories and stitching them together in his own style to create something that ultimately stands as being being somewhat original. No. This is... 300 imbued with the breath of life. That is exactly what it is. If you want to see real flesh and blood people acting out a story that you absolu- that you really gravitated toward on the printed page and you can appreciate what Miller brought to it, then this is the movie for you. Because in a world in which comic movies often stray a little too far from the source material, this is a movie that takes its inspiration and absolutely nails it on screen. It doesn't go quite as, quite as simple, quite as sparse, quite as bare as Miller often does. But the way it spices it up... Yeah, it yeah, it became it, it became parody fodder. You know, South Park mocked it relentlessly, and and okay, I'll admit, somewhat de- deservedly so, because yeah, Zach does go overboard with the slow mo and with the bullet time, with the bullet time and the the zoom ins and everything. But this is a chance to appreciate that and sort of sort of take the filter off of acknowledging everything that came after it this was only his second feature film this at this point this wasn't yet him you couldn't you couldn't say Oh well, he's just doing everything he did in Sucker Punch. Oh well, this is all the same, the same stuff that we saw in Man of Steel and Batman Very Superman and Justice League and so on and so forth. No, th- this was this was only his second, only his second movie. So really, you get to see where all of those techniques came from. This was his first time out with those, and. Frankly, I would argue that yeah, they, they they look damned impressive on impressive on screen, and it's worth sitting through sometimes just sometimes just for that. And you know, the prosecution also uh, also argued that there's nothing else to this in terms of substance. Well, that's largely because. Snyder as a director and this was and this was noted by both Lena Headey and Gerard Butler in particular didn't really give everyone a whole lot of leeway in terms of exploring the characters very far. He just wanted them to do things strictly in a certain way so that it was going to conform strongly to the book. Now, okay and and how what exactly would we be saying if he had if he had gone in the opposite direction chances are we would all be screaming to high heavens he didn't stick close enough to the source material it's it's the classic star wars conundrum you it's it's a perpetual tightrope you go too far too far one way you're being too different give us more of just give us more of just exactly what we want just just do with the Just do it the right way. Just keep it simple, stupid. You go the other way and say, well, you're being too safe. You didn't take enough chances. You didn't bring enough of anything new to the the table. Well, fucking hell. You people aren't going to be entirely happy with anything, are you? And it was also brought up that Sword and sandals movies are supposed to be relatively simple, and that's the biggest example of doing my job for me is no no fucking kidding. you know after this, I'm not sure why they even bothered making another Conan movie because somebody else had already done it and made done it, made more money and made a better movie off of it. It's just without quite the uh, quite the explicit fantasy bent. I mean these movies are institutions much like slasher movies because you know what you can go in and expect. If you go – clear back in the 1960s, a young Austrian kid went went to the theater, and, and he was positively in awe of Steve Reeves and to a much greater extent Reg Park. Uh, in, in in the old timey times Hercules movies, that was what that spurred him into a career in bodybuilding, and now a few decades a few decades later, uh, there are probably interstellar species whose first word whose first words in a human tongue will be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, if it, if it hadn't been for Reeves. For Reeves and Park, we would have never gotten the original two Conan movies. And then uh, decades on decades on later, we ended up getting well first we get well, first we got Gladiator, and then we got Alexander and Troy. I think I've got those in the right order. And then we got three hundred, and later we even got it we even got a drastically inferior sequel to three hundred they're always going to endure, they're always going to suck people in because you have something similar that everybody can gravitate toward. They're not necessarily going to be surprised, but they're going to go, man, I got exactly what I was in the mood for. You're getting hard bodies, heavy action, uh, epic epic battle scenes, grand visuals. It's 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 exactly what you what you would expect. If you're the type of person who keeps who keeps buying Chipotle bur, buying Chipotle burritos and keeps coming back disappointed because you're not biting into it and savor, and savoring the taste of filet mignon on your tongue, well, then I really don't know what to tell you. Every trailer screened for this pretty much told you exactly what you were getting. No, there were no surprises, and frankly, I was okay with this. I wasn't really looking for a, for a deep, immersive character tale. If I want to watch that, there's myriad other movies I could watch, including movies within this same genre. I could go and watch, go and watch Gladiator. Hell, I'm a gamer. I could go play the first five God of War games. Granted, those aren't much bigger on character development, but there's at least a little bit of a story there. In this case, personally, I went into 300 going, okay, I am going to sit back, and I'm going to watch anywhere from about 90 minutes to two hours of big big bad dudes just beating the ever-loving piss out of each other. And I went to the theater... And lo and behold, what did I get? 90 to 120 minutes of big bad buff dudes beating the ever-loving piss out of each other. I walked away happy. (laughs) Now, uh, on the other hand, just to touch on it ever so briefly, as far as the portrayal of the Persians, motherfuckers, it's Frank Miller. Like, uh, like I said, go down to your near to your nearest dirty corner hole-in-the-wall bar, and ask the fattest, smelliest dude in the place to give you to give you a square boot in the daddy bag, with a steel toe, and you will probably have more nuance and subtlety than Frank Miller has probably ever brought to anything in his entire life. <laughs> It's a matter of tendering your expect your expectations, and reali- and realizing, huh? Well, gee, this is the guy who made Sin City. This is the guy who the guy who wrote The Dark Knight Returns. Huh? I found this stuff to be really raw and devoid of, and devoid of substance and unimpressive in terms of humanizing it humanizing anybody. And then after that, if you come into this movie and expect Schindler's List, you're a reasonably stupid human being who lives up to that to that old saw about a fool and his money. And you can and yeah, you kinda deserve you kinda deserve to be parted from it. You know, you go in you go into this and by now to most movie watchers both those two names are fairly well known for certain things. If you come into come into it today and you see Zack Snyder made a movie based on a story by based on a story by Frank Miller. You're going to get pomp and circumstance and pyro and, and pyro and ballyhoo. Take a drink, that's a subtle wrestling reference. And it's written by a guy who's like Elmore Leonard if you took Elmore Leonard if you took away the talent and the intelligence. You know, that right that right there is what you is what you can expect. And if you come away disappointed because you thought you were going to get something else, I don't know what to tell you. You're just not a sensible human human being, and you should probably go sit in the corner and cry for a while. Your witness. I feel like
0: we're saying the same thing, <laughs> I really do, because, it, because at no time that I ever did I ever say, and I know and, and I know you weren't directing this at me, but at no time did I ever say... This movie should have been anything but what it was. It was a celebration of excess, and that's what you go to see. You know, you are absolutely right. You go to see this movie for uh, for everything that's already been discussed. I don't need to repeat it ad nauseum. Um, My point, you know, and I usually reserve this part, or or Sean reserves this part for furthering an argument, but I actually feel like some of this needs does need repeating just because you celebrate excess doesn't mean it's well crafted this movie still lacks some basic uh pillars of good movie making and i'm fine with that as, as in in terms of personal taste but as an objective criticism this movie just outright fails on a lot of levels it does there, I'm. I I will entertain a counter argument of how this is of how of where the successful movie making it is in all but a couple of performances, and you know it's probably competently edited. I'll give it that. It's competently edited. <laughs> you know this. You don't you don't see the dot in the corner or anything like that. There isn't like that bad Halloween three editing where the scenes don't match up.
1: So well, okay. I, I I I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull am I'm gonna pull a Harris here, and I'm gonna interject just ever so briefly, just just with one minor point, point. and no that rejection. is with, <laughs> yeah, I rarely enter those. Uh, in terms of the way it was shot and the fact that it was made on uh, on a digital soundstage, if you were to try. If you were to try to make this, actually actually shooting the entire thing or even half of it on location, fucking hell, you would have never made your budget back. It would <laughs> this this movie this movie would have made Xanadu look like a cash cow by comparison with how expensive it would have become. By making it the way the way that he did. That's why it was able to come in on a budget of only sixty-five million dollars, and it was pretty much a guaranteed moneymaker straight out of the gate. Yeah, a lot of it was done with a lot of flash and digital fair, digital fanfare, uh, digital digital fanfare, flair. Woo. Uh, instead, actually trying to do it the hard way and kind of trying to earn those impressive those impressive visuals, but it also made the movie bankable. So that, that would be the only thing that I thing that I would point out is it, is it might seem like a cop out to do that much with computer wizardry, but at the same time, I see it as an extension of good business. So I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a compliment for that. And I'll give you that point.
0: They did a better job mm. of making a visually appealing, CGI movie than George Lucas did with the Phantom Menace. Okay, good. I'm glad they're more competent than George Lucas was using that kind of technology and you know and making a stylized <laughs> film. <laughs> Huzzah! But um, <laughs> the only the only other thing I'm I'm gonna say about it is yeah you know, like I said, it's not that I don't like it, and it's not that I disagree with Sean that if you went into this hoping for subtlety and and uh, you know art house, you walked into the wrong picture and you may be on drugs. Um, and you should seek help. However, my goal tonight was to point out that just because you like garbage, doesn't make it any less garbage. And maybe garbage is too strong a word, but I'm trying to drive home my, the central thesis of my prosecution, which is you can create something that's schlock, but call it by its name. Don't try to elevate it into something that it's not and was never meant to be. And I think the biggest, uh, the biggest crime... By, by the fans or by the movie itself is to call this thing a good movie it's not it's entertaining but it's not a well crafted movie and I love it <laughs> but, boy, but boy I'm known for liking a lot of garbage as we know from listening to Damn You Hollywood don't we
1: That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> I, feel yeah like I was going to say, combination of combination of damn you, damn you Hollywood, hashtag boom heavyweights, and <laughs> the fact that I'm pretty sure you regard Brock Lesnar and John Cena as your Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat.
0: If we're talking about their SummerSlam match where where, where Brock Lesnar threw John Cena around like a dead fish, hell yeah. It was <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> matches of all time. I'll, I'll put yeah, that up again. You- I'll put that up against Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, WrestleMania seventeen any day. I was equally entertained by both.
1: Well, well, yeah, and you see, and that's uh, that's going to be kind of going to be kind of probably a small difference between us, or maybe it's something we actually have in common. Is sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'm in the mood for a match like that. I will go on record as saying that I have had as much fun watching. You professional wrestling matches as I had watching this year's SummerSlam main event.
0: Mm-hmm. That, was,
1: which that was that which was the that, win that among was, the monsters, wasn't it? If I remember correctly, that was Braun Strowman, yeah, yeah, Samo- yeah. Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and Braun Strowman, and it was ju- it was just a demolition derby from start to finish. Just the biggest guys in the company going out. And telling a surprisingly decent story.
0: Well, it was. I got one better for you. I took I took Jonas and company last year to the uh, to Monster Jam. Oh, Monster Jam uh, is Monster yeah. Jam is two hours of cars of of monster trucks flipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah. just driving around this track and flipping and crashing into stuff, and we had the best time. It was the same thing over and over and over again, and you just and and I got and I fell into that trap as a fan of winning, as wanting to see a wreck, <laughs> you know, like when they when right, they actually, right. you know, and it's a, the thing is like there's nothing else to it. It's it's a sheer
1: visual spectacle, but it's awesome, right. right? But more often than not, the way my taste tends to tends to skew is while I'm occasionally in the mood for a match like the SummerSlam Fatal 4-Way, more often, I would rather go back and watch Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar from No Way Out. Um, the um, Eddie's two-out-of-three falls match. Uh, his, his ECW farewell with Dean Malenko. Um, uh, Chris Jericho's amazing series of matches with... Shawn Michaels. Uh anything anything like that. Something with a night with a nice meaty story to it. But I also know how to differentiate between the two. If I go to WWE Network and I think, God, I really want to watch that classic Jeff Hardy Undertaker ladder match. It's not like at some point I'm watching it and I'm going and I'm going to realize Going to realize, huh, you know they could have slowed down and made this a little more made this a little more believable, or gee would it have would it have killed Jeff to throw in a top rope can- would have killed the undertaker to throw in a top rope Canadian destroyer from somewhere and There's there's a place in all forms of entertainment for all tastes, and there's really no reason to be too derisive if you don't like something. Um, I think think the biggest problem with the way Zack makes movies has been lately, especially when it comes to Man of Steel and Batman Very Superman and Justice League – those were movies where he really had to. It, it should have been impressed upon him. Okay, you got to show that you can do more than just the camera tricks. You you have to really put some substance to this. We're we're counting on you here to really show some to really show some intelligence. And then well, Zach went and did a Zack Snyder thing.
0: <laughs> you know. I was listening to that, and and this is kind of my last word on the subject. Um, you can go on if you if you have a little more to say, but really, when I think about Zack Snyder, I have two things that just radiate in my mind, and I feel like if Homer Simpson was a movie director, he would be Zack Snyder. And Zack Snyder is the iced tea of uh, of movie directors. Like I love body count. And I think Ice T's fantastic to listen to, but he's about as subtle as a as a hammer to the face. And he and and the thing, oh, the thing yeah. is, like, he thinks he's coming across as artistic, but he, it, it's but
1: it's not. <laughs> it's still kicking the ball. It's still a kick in the uh, ball. Yeah, you know, I I remember seeing Ice T's behind the music. I don't think he has too many delusions about. <laughs> Too many delusions of grandeur uh, about no, the depth of his own think, artistic merit.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think he thinks he's fucking you know doing doing high classical here. But he does he does have a pompicity about him where you know he's like like, like he's really saying something about the American zeitgeist. And it's like, no, you're not, dude. You wrote a song about robbing fucking liquor stores. <laughs> Knock it off. Please just recognize well, the level of
1: which you're writing.
0: I, and, and that's
1: how still say, I think he's still saying something about it. He's just not doing it from necessarily the kind of eloquent viewpoint <laughs> That certain audiences were kind of used to hearing social commentary from he <laughs> i mean he, he he never he never has been is not, and never is going to be Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen, but he was kind of trying to come at a lot of those subjects from just a, a very honest point of view about it. Just, right. just maybe, maybe not even necessarily trying to say something that something about that subject that's perhaps going to make people think too deeply, but just saying, but just going, going. Look, this is how it is mm-hmm. for me and people coming from where I've come from. So what?
0: So I look at like oh, Zack Snyder. Yeah, I look at Zack Snyder and I just. I think he thinks he's making, I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't go as far as saying high art, but I, I really think like, like he, he looks at what he's doing and he goes like, I'm really proud of this. This, this, this is style and, and masterful camera work, and I'm really proud of what I've done here. And it's like, nope, <laughs> it's still, you're still
1: making schlock, you know. <laughs> okay, now, now, that know what, sta- now on that statement, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Any la- any last words, sir? Uh, nothing really, except that I would say if you really want to see Zach before he started, before he started going just entirely uh, too far with uh, with a lot of the visual excess. Seriously, go track down the especially the unrated cut of Dawn of the Dead because it, it because it is genuinely unabashedly outstanding and I'll even go so far as to say I think it's superior to Romero's original and I don't and all I right. don't think it's a stretch to say that at all
0: all righty well I think that's as good a place as any to draw to a conclusion tonight um, Sean's got the next pick for on trial it's coming at you in three weeks on January 30th, and it's The Godfather Part 3. It's the one Godfather <laughs> I've never actually seen before. So, what's going to be fun about that show, uh, other than I have to be in the dubious position of defending it, is uh, I believe that's what we came up with, right? Uh, yep, I'm defending it. Um, is I haven't seen, I've only seen The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 once in my life, and it was years ago. So I, I will be I will have the dubious uh vantage point of not really remembering the Godfather movies and watching this independent of the previous two movies. So we'll, so part of my discussion will be how well this stands on its own. Uh and since I've never seen it, I don't know how to answer that question right now. So tune in in 3 weeks when uh I have a definitive answer. Um as I said before, we talked about the graphic novel 300 on source material. And if nothing else, the gag reel on that's hilarious. Uh, Jesse's been editing these gag reels together at the end of every source material. They're worth the price of admission alone. Please go give the, give those a listen. Tomorrow night on the Metal Hammer of Doom, um, I gave it uh, to Robert to pick. And he picked Watane Trident Wolf Eclipse. Next week, we're going to be doing uh, Black Lightning on source material to gear up for the Black Lightning CW series. Runaways and uh, uh, Runaways ended uh, their uh, first season with their 10th episode on Hulu. We're going to discuss the Runaways series in its entirety on the 16th of January, and on the 17th is the Metal Hammer of Doom Corrosion of Conformity Review. And uh, lastly... We've got, on the 22nd source material, the entire Tom King run of The Vision. Uh, We'll be discussing The Orville on TV Party tonight, and then Metal Hammer of is going to review the new Avatar, not the movie, the band, Avatar Country. And that brings us to the week that we're doing the next On Trial. So that's January in a
1: nutshell. Sean, what
0: you got for us?
1: Well, first off, thank you, Mark, for bumping the show back 30 minutes so I could have a little extra time to catch my breath after a solid hour of Diamond Dallas Page kicking my ass. Um, (laughs) Thank you to everybody who downloads or listens live every week. We surely do appreciate it. You are ultimately – the reason why we get such a kick out of doing what we do. We hope we've managed to inform and entertain, and that if we have, you'll perhaps uh, pass word of our little, our, of our little podcast, our little carnival of errors, along to your nearest, to your nearest and dearest. Or if you didn't like it, hey, on to somebody you despise. Uh, thank you to the inimitable Jesse Starcher for that wonderful take on the classic Night Court theme that leads us into the. Sh- into the show every, every about 14 days or so. Uh, as for what I've got going on lately, who boy, have I gone from zero to 60? Um, most importantly, I have launched my own Twitch channel. Uh, if you want to tune in and see me playing about two to three hours or so of a variety of PlayStation 4 games, then around 6 p.m. Central Time usually, amble over to twitch.tv slash Codex. And to receive regular updates, especially when I just get kind of a wild hair at my ass and decide that I want to play a few hours for everyone... Uh, make sure you hit that follow button. I'm trying to grow my audience as fast as I can so that I can reach first affiliate and then partner status and then hopefully gain an even bigger audience. Meanwhile, if you would like to check out some of my written works, I'm currently finishing up a blog for blog at comercodex.wordpress.com addressing a couple thoughts on James Franco's frankly shameful treatment of Tommy Wiseau this past weekend at the Golden Globes. Meanwhile, coming up within the next couple within the next couple of weeks, I've got set uh, January 15th as the date when I am going to hand in my first column of Eight Match Tag to Greg DeMarco over at chairshot.com and yeswrestling.com. It's going to be a probably bi-weekly feature eight matches that I handpick from the WWE Network library, highlighting my favorite wrestlers, match stipulations, promotions, eras, what have you. And my very first one is going to be a retrospective look at the eight essential matches comprising the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker feud, running fr- running from uh, SummerSlam 1997 right up to WrestleMania twenty-eight and the end of an era hell in a cell match between Triple H and Taker with Sean as the special guest referee, which ironically is also where he started the whole feud, was referee was refereeing a world championship match between Bret Hart and the Undertaker at SummerSlam. So that should be fun. And then about two weeks after about I believe oh a week after that you can catch another edition of 8 match tag in which I'm going to be running down my 8 favorite Royal Rumble show stealers the best non-rumble matches to have ever left you going man the rumble that year was hey, it was okay but here's the real reason you should sit down and watch this, and watch this show and oh and also on January 28th if you meander over to fpgnews.com You can also find me throughout the night providing match-by-match, practically move-by-move recaps of every match of this year's Royal Rumble live from Philadelphia broadcast on WWE Network. So, that being said, thank you all for joining us this evening. I'm Sean. You're not. Never dull your colors for someone else's canvas.
0: All right. Uh, That is the end of our show. The judge has left the building. All rise, blah, blah, yackety, shmackety. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, folks. Be well, be safe, and behave. (laughs)